I'm Kat Richardson. I'm also K.R. Richardson. I write strange books that meld mystery with science fiction and or fantasy and then go off in weird directions, and I hope you'll enjoy them. This is a continuing episode of a series about Kat Richardson's Blood Orbit. Are you going to do a reading? Um, not not today. It's uh, in the middle of another project, and right now my brain is stuck on that particular project. And suddenly I would be, you know, spouting strange uh, Western dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> what are you up to? Do, do you mind um, sharing that with the audience? Like, what are you up to? <laughs> well, I have a kind of strange piece that's been wandering around for a while, and it was called Lily of the West, and it's sort of... Um, it's sort of clockwork science fiction set in 1790s in the United States. And there's a fellow with a traveling show and he can't seem to keep actors working for him. So he <laughs> hires this, he hires this young woman who makes automata mm. to build basically robots yeah, for his show. Solve that and problem. <laughs> things go a bit wrong when one of them starts to rewrite her own dialogue. Uh, so one of their robots starts going off program and initially they, they think that someone is doing something to the machine. It turns out that the machine is uh, moving towards actual sapience. It never quite gets there. And then there's the whole question of, you know, where is where does humanity become humanity versus just machine intelligence, if that actually exists. So... But like I said, it takes place in the 1870s, so it kind of fits into that steampunk culture. Yeah. But once again, looking at modern questions about artificial intelligence and is this actually intelligence, does this advance towards real creativity and and real uh, humanity, or is this literally just scraping the top off of an existing culture and munging it into a new shape and plagiarizing it and putting it back out, which is obviously a really big issue, right? Right. I know. And you're like, you're like, you're like hitting all those hot buttons right now. <laughs> Science is full of hot buttons for, for people to, to look at, you know, what's going on in your social and political world. And science is constantly, and that, it's one of the tricky things about science is that it's always causing us pain in mm-hmm. our social and political interaction because it's changing the world every second that we're living with science and you can't not live with science. I didn't realize scientists were just a bunch of saddists. Is that like, <laughs> they keep, they keep, yeah, I know. I know. Right. Right. It's a response to solving a problem, but then a bunch of, yeah, it's, it's, it's that whole disruption. There's people who like the disruption and there's people who don't like the disruption and, and the story continues. Almost every solution brings a whole new set of problems. Yeah, that's totally the way life works, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remember when we uh, when we invented television, and everyone thought this is great. You'll have movies in your own home, and the movie industry said, "Oh no, oh my God, we're doomed." Yeah, and that's of right. course, 
they adapted and and became something else. And every time some technology is always the existential threat. And that's one of the things that's a constant theme in science fiction is have we done something that ultimately destroys us or have we done something that ultimately lifts us up? Uh, and that's always a question in science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. And, you I'm, know, I'm as see- someone who's interested in, in film noir, that existential dread is kind of a built-in with a lot of science fiction themes. So they, to me, they always kind of come back together. So... Yeah, that's that's just me all over. Yeah, well, I think yeah, it's all the human condition. It's hard to make people happy, and and there's always somebody who's less happy when somebody else is more happy. It's it's a it's always yeah, it's hard to get along. Well, and you can come up with so many great stories um, that are in the science fiction realm that touch on that idea of human happiness and whether or not we have reached a point of happiness. Um, Wow. That's a good question. Uh, I don't know if we've reached it. <laughs> yeah, can we? Oh, you know, can they we? talk right, about right. the singularity and maybe yeah. the singularity is do we reach a point of not wanting anything anymore that we have everything and now we really are happy. Mm. But are we? Is it human nature to actually be satisfied mm. and to be happy? Mm. Because the thing that drives us to build new stuff, the thing that drives science is problems and wanting to make things better, wanting to solve problems, wanting to make people happy and uh, or to make yourself happy. And do we do that? Don't know. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. And, and once people are all happy, does things just stagnant at that point? And because everybody's just like chilled out, being happy. <laughs> just, do we then I, go downhill? Is it like the alcoholic mice problem? Right. You know, yeah, when, yeah. You, when you give the mice a test tube full of ethanol, they just, they stop doing anything. They stop running on their tube and on their little you know, ball and thing. And then they just lie around drinking until they die. Mm. You know, if we're, if we're really, really happy. Do we then do anything or do we just lie around until we die? Yeah. <laughs> Oh no! That's so noir. (laughs) So so much existential dread. (laughs) You know, my next question is: What is that special something? I'm a little scared to ask this, but what is that special something that is in each K.R. Richardson's Richardson novel? Wow. Um, You know, I'm not sure because I'm always. I can edit other people. I can't edit myself. I, I look at my stuff and I go, what is it that makes this, you know, a Richardson book? What what makes this a, a K.R. Richardson book or a Cat Richardson book? And I, all I can think of is that I kind of approach almost everything at this weird sideways out of the corner of your eye, you know, uh, approach is, do I see something weird over there? I'm going to go and look at it. And all, all, of my, all the K.R. Richardson stuff is full of, there's weird sh- going on out of the corner of your eye. <laughs> there's all kinds of strange things happening in the world of Gaddis that oh, seem, wow. I, they're weird, and you notice them and you go, oh, that's science fiction-y stuff that she's just put there. And all of it is Chekhov's gun. Oh my God, so much, so many Chekhov's guns in everything I write. There's hardly <laughs> anything that isn't doing something, even if it looks like it's lying around doing nothing. Oh, you know, wow. if, I, if I tell you that someone does a certain thing and you think it's just character building, it's almost always going somewhere else. So, 
I'm always sticking layers of weird stuff that looks like something you don't need. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now I wanted to inform the audience on Chekhov's gun. Could you... uh, Ah, um, The playwright Anton Chekhov once said that if you show someone a gun, you must eventually use the gun. And there's a great, absolutely literal use of that if you've ever seen the film Shaun of the Dead. The... The pub that they hang out with in is called the Winchester, and there's an old Winchester repeating rifle up on the wall. Someone makes a joke about it early on. Later on, during the Great Zompocalypse, um, sorry, anyone who hasn't already seen this film, it's a Zompocalypse. It's a comedy Zompocalypse, right, right. and it's hilarious. They go to hide from the zombies in the Winchester pub, and there is the gun. Needless to say, this gun now becomes important. (laughs) But earlier, it was literally a piece of scenery. Right. And that's a great application of Chekhov's gun. You show somebody something, and then you have to use it. (laughs) Because it's like like an unfulfilled promise if you don't use it. You you told the reader something, they think, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. And then later, if you don't use it, they're disappointed. (laughs) Well, and the tricky thing is how you misdirect people from something which is so obviously laid there, because otherwise everyone goes, oh, yeah, well, then this will happen. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And especially writing anything remotely like a mystery, you're always having to put all these pieces of information out there and then make people disregard the most important one. And yet it has to be there. Otherwise, you're not playing fair. That's such a big deal in mystery fiction, but it's true for science fiction also, is you have to play fair with your reader. You have to give them the information so that they can understand your story and take it in. If you've hand-waved too much, if you've said, oh, don't worry about that, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, then you come to a conclusion which is ultimately dissatisfying because the reader didn't get all the parts. And it will always feel like you lied to them. And that makes a reader walk away dissatisfied and annoyed. (laughs) Uh, uh, Jonathan Lethem occasionally does that. He's a very weird writer. And I mean, literally what he writes is sometimes very weird. He writes science fiction-y literary novels. But he always makes you feel like did I miss something? You get to the end and you go, did I miss something? And then you go back and you kind of mentally review, but he always plays fair with you. He just makes it look like that thing's just me being weird. Don't pay any attention to, to that. And you'll get to the end and go, oh, you sneak. <laughs> you, you slipped that one right by me. Darn you, Latham. <laughs> I think he's a great writer. But he's, uh, he's definitely an acquired taste because of his way of kind of misdirecting you. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I haven't read Jonathan Latham. Uh, Gun with Occasional Music is one I, I recommend as an entry level for Latham because it's got a mystery structure which is very easy to follow. And some of his books are so weird that you kind of bounce off him a couple of times before you fall in and go, okay, I get it. He's also got a uh, kind of odd pacing style. All right. (laughs) 
Sci-Fi Thoughts wants to expand. We want to grow from not just your podcast player, but to spread to your co-workers, your family, and your friends. But I haven't got any friends. Why, you little... One, two, three... Oh, no, you don't. We know you've got friends who are, who are into the science, who are into science fiction. These are the people who are playing Halo and Stellaris and, and other space games instead of watching college football. There are the ones in the NASA t-shirts who are busy inventing something with their 3D printers. Email them a link to this podcast. Send them a social media request. Heck, even speak to them and tell them that you've enjoyed the show. The main point is to impress upon them how much you enjoy sci-fi thoughts. Tell them to go to the URL sci-fi thoughts.space. Don't keep sci-fi thoughts secret because keeping secrets from science fiction fans just isn't nice. We have show notes and we have goodies in the show notes, like links back to K.R. Richardson's books, some interviews she's done on YouTube, and other things about noir. Where are the show notes? The show notes show up in your podcast player right there for easy tapping in the palm of your hand or into your laptop. If you don't use a podcast player, go back to the website where you downloaded this MP3 and you will see the show notes there. This is a continuing episode of a series with Kat Richardson. The series started at episode 253. So if you missed that episode, go to scifithoughts.space and use the search engine there to look up episode 253. Next episode, more Cat Richardson. There's two different perspectives on a case which opens with a murder at 20,000 meters underwater. Hmm. <laughs> so initially people write it off as an accident, but it becomes obvious very quickly that it is in fact a really horrific murder which might be connected to a whole bunch of other horrific murders which cannot possibly have been committed by the same person. Are the same detectives going to show up in this story or in this book? Oh yeah. Yeah, except yep. now they're they're advancing in their careers in spite of, you know, resistance from, you know, higher up the chain. 